You're listening to the John Stapleton Podcast. Do the stories in the Bible read like fact or fiction and why? Hmm. And I, I, if you can, um, with just, you know, what's in your mental library, if you have happened to read other books from antiquity, maybe try to compare the Bible mm-hmm. to those. Yeah. Because, like, often, I think often what we do is we take the Bible and, uh, you know, we take the Bible and we're like, well, you know, it doesn't, you know, read like a modern book and mm-hmm. so old and it's just it's just different. So I don't think it's fair to judge the Bible on modern standards. Uh, yeah. We kind of have to judge it based, we can't, we have to judge it with its peers. So, like, yeah. do you have anything like that? Yeah, so on a grassroots level, I want to be really careful here because this is kind of um, tricky. On a grassroots level, though, <clears throat> I think your question, um, does the Bible read like fact or fiction? I think it depends on whoever's reading it. Um, and it also depends on what kind of principles you're coming through the text with. What's your hermeneutic behind the, the text? Because an agnostic can read it and think something totally different than what an evangelical scholar would think. And it's because of what they come to the text with. Um, but yet again, um, so it depends on who's reading it. That's a very vague, very broad answer. Um, but yet again, obviously the Bible is a different type of book than a normal book. It's not just a book. It's, you know, it's got two authors. Um, very interesting way that works out. But it's got a divine author which means it's it's of the it's literature of the highest quality that we have on earth um so yeah i would say it depends on on what who who's reading it um but yeah you 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 said that we shouldn't we shouldn't read scripture with our modern with a modern lens and and, a, and a appropriate that on, on on scripture itself we should read it with it, with its peers um and yeah i've done research on um Richard Burridge, he's a New Testament scholar, and he wrote a book called um, What Are the Gospels? A Comparison with Greco-Roman Biography. Um, Really, really interesting book. Um, Really compelling, too, I would say. Um, Not to, like, degrade the the genre of gospel, but to, I think, appropriate it within his cultural context. Um, Yeah, he writes a a really thick, really big book um, on the comparison of... Uh, Greco-Roman biography around um, within 500 years either side of um, the gospel accounts. Like he um, compares Plutarch. He, he wrote um, biographies of of, um, of of ancient people. Um, there's a lot of striking familial resemblances, is what scholars call them, the familial resemblances between literature. Um, so there's that, which I think is, is great. And it's really new. It's relatively new. Um, and there's also William Lane Craig, um, he wrote a book called In the Quest of the Historical Adam. Um, and, um, yeah, really new, 2021, really new. He's a Christian philosopher, and he specifically takes this, and we're on the topic of fact and fiction, and I think Genesis 1 through 11 is this area of so much debate because it's such a unique part of Scripture, um, just like Job is. Um, but he takes Genesis 1 through 11 and compares it with other um, primeval narratives from Egyptian 
uh, Babylonian, Assyrian, Hittite. It's, it's really important because it sets up the worldview. Yeah, and I think also, um, if we're gonna read, if we're gonna read scripture as Bible-believing Christians, um, it it'd be so we'd be treating the text with such a low degree of um, honor if we read our modern presuppositions into it. And I think that's why um, Old Testament scholar John Walton right, wrote a book on um, the lost world of Genesis 1. And he investigates the correlation between Genesis 1 and 2 and ancient cosmology, um, other origin myths, and um, other um, uh, narratives of uh, creation. And he's like, okay, I want to be faithful to the context of the, the hearers, the readers, and the writer, yet also, you know, continue to obtain my, my Christian convictions. So it's this kind of tricky kind of dynamic mm-hmm. where um, we're dealing with this cultural text. We're 2,000 plus years removed from the New Testament, and we're way more removed from the Old Testament. So reading back into it is that's eisegesis, reading our own interpretation or our own hermeneutic into it, rather than letting the author, you know, um, rather than deciphering what the author's hermeneutic is in relation to the text. So that does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. And um, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think I think the reader is definitely important. Um, I do want to add something to that, though. Like, um, it, it's amazing how many details the Bible has um, in, let's just say, the narratives. Mm-hmm. Like, there is lots of allegory in there, admittedly, but there are lots of stories. Like, one thing that's surprising me about um, what I'm reading in the Quran is it's not a cohesive story. Like, uh, have you ever read the Gospel of Judas? No. Um, so the Gospel of Judas, it's this document uh, that they found in 2007, supposedly written by Judas, and uh, the, the parchment was so ripped up that in the translation, you can just see a bunch of ellipses everywhere. Dot, dot, yeah. Dot, 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 dot. I mean, that's how they translate the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's like a lot's missing, <laughs> and we don't really know what they're trying to com- what this document's trying to communicate. And the Quran reads like that. It's just like a bunch of just like one-liners about God's character or, yeah. you know, a moral instruction here. Uh, or, you know, often they'll take the biblical stories and they'll retell them where it's like, you know, Isaac wasn't the one that was offered up. It was Ishmael, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross. There was one that looked like him that did. Um, when Moses came down off the mountain, um, he was angry and he grabbed Aaron by his hair when that's, yeah. he was angry, but he didn't grab Aaron by his hair. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's just random and, and there are bits here and there are chunks here and there's a piece here. Um, and in the Bible, the narrative is so smooth. It's like, first it's historically accurate. The details matter. Like when it says Jesus went up to Jerusalem, uh, yeah, people actually went up, they ascended up the Mount to Jerusalem yeah. Uh, when it says, yeah, Jesus preached in the plain, you, you look around and, yeah, it's a bunch of flat land everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when it said that it, it, it mentions people's names, it mentions people's it mentions the time period that things happened. Um, 
And this is just, I mean, I think this was C.S. Lewis's observation. Like, this is just what abounds in Scripture, the details that abound in Scripture. No other religious book has that amount of detail. Yeah. Uh, and it gives me the <coughs> confidence that the Bible really is rooted in history. So I know, like, you know, you talk about the genre of gospel, and it can be a little, like, are we taking away from the holiness of Scripture? Mm -hmm. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But honestly, we're not if we're just tracing the truth and, and where it goes. Yeah. Um, and, and what we'll find is um, the Gospels are deeply rooted in history. This is yeah. why Matthew starts with a genealogy. Exactly. And I think the if we're, there's always this debate, and this, this kind of introduces that, of like, okay, obviously the Bible has figurative and literal language. Yeah. And where the... the, the the clincher is, okay, where is the figurative and literal language? If if we're seeking to read the Bible literally, then if a text was created in it with a metaphorical element in it, that is the most literal way we can take it because that's how the author intended it for it to be. Right. Right. Literal literal meaning literary. Yes. Like we can like that's like that's just how the, the readers would have read it if that's how the author wanted to portray that that specific text. You know what I mean? So let me ask, because I've 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 been hit with this question before. What do you say to people that say that genres are human constructs, that they're made up things that we're imposing? It's kind of like eisegesis. We're just bringing yeah. it back onto the text. And you know, how do we know Revelation isn't supposed to be literal? Yeah, I think, well, initially, I don't know if there's a issue with... Um, thinking that genre comes out of a social need because um, genre comes out of a way for a culture to, in literature, to express one's ideas. Um, and that may be through poetry, that may be through narrative. Um, and it's, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky um, thing to, to think about. It, genre is this method of communication, mm -hmm. ultimately. And there's different ways to communicate. Um, so out of that social need, I believe... I believe it actually appropriates it in its social context, because if 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 literature is created within a social context within culture, you know, for other people to read and for other people to express their ideas, then it then it's a social element. If that makes sense in literature, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I does. think there, there's there's that element to it, and and that's kind of why I think John Walton's Lost World of Genesis one, and then William Lane Craig's. Um, in quest for the historical Adam are such compelling books because they they appropriate the narratives of for John Walton Genesis one through two, and then for uh, William Lane Craig he takes the entire editorial unit of Genesis one through eleven and appropriates it in its cultural context in its literature context in its historical liter liter literary context, and, and sees how does that play into what we're reading here in scripture. So I think it 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 it's not that we're trying to subtract the literature from it the the context from what, what it was written in because then we're we're bringing it into our modern lens you know does that make sense so I, yeah. I I like to again that's just merely a thought or a notion so I think opening the floor for that for discussion would be welcomed yeah yeah I mean I I just yeah I think it's fascinating and thank you I I I think that answer is brilliant um I just think it's funny how like you know there's some people like the flat Earth people like. They'll, they'll read Isaiah, and they'll be like, well, Isaiah does, is not poetry. Yeah. Um, so when it says the four corners of the earth, 
you know, God, it's literally talking about a plane of land. You know, the whole earth is, is just like flat. And yeah. it's like, well, but, you know, but that's what you're doing right now by assuming it's, by assuming this phrase has a plain, fig, you know, plain literal meaning instead of a plain figurative meaning. Like it's yeah. still true. But is this truth being communicated in a plain literal or a plain figurative way? And, yeah. you know, sometimes the Bible helps us. Like Jesus says, yeah. uh, you know, how often I've wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Yeah. Uh, or in the or in Revelation, John is always saying, I saw something like it had the appearance of it resembled or Daniel, it resembled this. And it's so easy for our Western eyes to read into like. Okay, he saw this instead yeah. of he saw it something like this, and I think that's why my professor, my archaeology professor and um, uh, interpreting professor back at CCU, said that genre identification impacts biblical interpretation, and I think that's why genre is so important. And I, I think sometimes it gets overlooked, and that again, that's why I think John Walton and um, William Lane Craig are, are such uh, compelling uh, authors is because they appropriate it within its cultural context, the literature that we have in front of us. Um, and I think it'd be a disservice for us to, to neglect that aspect of, of the biblical canon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think I, I heard someone once say that, um, you know, the reason why the Bible uses a lot of imagery is because as Westerners, like, we want to know stuff. We, want, we, we have linear thinking. This leads to this leads to this. A plus B equals C. Uh, in the Bible, it it uses a lot of imagery and it mm-hmm. and it uses a lot of um, repetition or what I like to call recapitulation. Yeah, um, like the Bible doesn't want us to just know some things but feel some things. Yeah, and images evoke feelings mm-hmm. so that our whole self is wrapped up in the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I, I love the idea of recapitulation because. Again, we're workflow process people. There are seven steps, and, and, and we, we like to track where we are in the workflow, which is amazing. Uh, when, but when discussing theology, philosophy, ideology, um, a really helpful Eastern way of thinking, I, I actually discussed this uh, on a previous episode in the podcast, is you know linear thinking versus silical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, like meditation is, is literally, uh, it's like a funnel and you can be, you know, think of like North, South, East, West. And, uh, and you, you know, you can be East for the, you know, the seventh time, the eighth time, but you're, you're looking at the same thing from a different direct, you know, a different angle. Mm-hmm. You're, you're at the, you know, you're at the same location, the same direction, should I say, you're, you're looking at the same direction, but from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so us Westerners, we have the tendency to think, well, I already thought about that. So I'm a master of it. I already, re- I, I already read a book on that. So I, I know, I need, I know everything that there is to, um, to know about this thing. Yeah. Um, but have you looked at it from this angle? It's not that you're wrong, but there's always more that you can add to your understanding. Yeah, of course. I think it also, um, yeah. I mean, the, just the idea of, of figurative language in general. Like Jesus uses figurative language, like a lot of his parables are, you know, yeah. said in. How can I get the people to know what heaven's like when they've never been there? Exactly, it's in figurative language, and we and and we read that and we're like, okay, obviously it's in figurative language. But when it comes to texts like Genesis one through eleven, 
that's where it gets really muddy and really tricky. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But you know, Genesis one through 11, like it's, it's beautiful because like it starts off with the creation story, Mm -hmm. uh, which again, when you compare it to other creation stories, it's like God made people not because, uh, it was an accident, not Mm -hmm. as a result of violence or competition, but out of love and beauty and harmony. Yeah. It's definitely an elevated cosmology. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, the Bible just has a better story. Like, I know it's yeah, not very no. academic to say that, but, like, it's just, it's more compelling. Yeah, it is more compelling, so. 